Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. We invite the congregation to be seated before we move to the reading of the scripture this morning. A few words of context as we are in the midst of our series, Silence, a Light in the Silence, How God Speaks into the Darkness, and we have been in several passages of Isaiah. Some things to remember about Isaiah, we've talked before about how Isaiah is the prophet that speaks to the people of Israel and Judah. You've got a divided kingdom, the northern part of the kingdom is Israel, the southern part of the kingdom is Judah, and there's only about 50 years difference from when the Assyrians take the northern part of the kingdom captivity and exile, and when the southern kingdom falls to the Babylonians in exile. And Isaiah is speaking this word, so the text that we're going to hear in a moment comes during this, what we call, pre-exilic period when the exile was taking place. And the imagery is quite simple. The imagery is that there is a stump. Now, if you know anything about stumps in Texas, especially in Houston, just because you cut a tree down doesn't mean it's gone, right? And, and that imagery is something of the agrarian images that we can pick up on pretty quickly, that we see there's a, a shoot or something growing out of. And then we're also going to unpack some of the meaning of what it means for the messianic expectations. Within the Jewish faith, listen in the text, because you're going to hear a direct lineage of how Jesus will come, this, this one who's coming, this Messiah will come from the lineage out of the house of David. This was a first prophecy foretold in 2 Chronicles by Samuel, chapter 26, when, when the prophet Samuel said, look, Jesse from your house will be the lineage that comes, and this will be a promise. And so this is a fulfillment of what had happened. But to flesh out more of this context of who Isaiah is, uh, also in 2 Chronicles you find that there was this uh, period. Now remember, when you look at the Old Testament, it's not all in chronological order. It works for the Pentateuch in the first five books. But once you move into Kings and Chronicles, and then you got the prophets, some of the prophets spoke during the period covered in Chronicles and Kings. And what the prophet um, was foretold was that Uzziah was this strong, strong um, leader, the king of Israel, but he contracted leprosy and he lived out his life that was really separated from people. And these are the people who ruled during the period of Isaiah. And then Uzziah's son Jotham was really faithful to God. But then Jotham, uh, Jotham's son, uh, Jotham was followed by Ahaz and Ahaz tried to sort of buy the favor of Assyria. So it's in the middle of this, 
Assyrian captivity and he's frantically sort of to make amends and erected all these false gods. And then there was Hezekiah who really tried to break with that imagery. So back and forth from these kings, all this happened. And it's, it's, it's Isaiah who speaks during this time period. And he sought to bring the people back to a moment of faithfulness. And in the backdrop of everybody's mind will be this idea that from the house of Jesse comes one. So there is this promise, there is this hope, and we want to unpack a little bit about what that means in a few phrases. We'll use the NIV translation. If you're following along at home, or if you're following your Bible and you've got the King James or the NRSV, you're going to see a word that's different. One word that you will notice is different is the difference between banner and ensign. And what's fascinating is when you unpack the word banner within the Hebrew, it literally is something that's lifted up. So within all of Isaiah, what you have is this imagery of messianic expectation. And part of the reason that the Jewish faith doesn't recognize Jesus as Messiah is that he doesn't fulfill the things that they'd hoped for in restoring Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple. So when you look at David, who was the one who conquered and established the temple, they're looking for one who will restore the temple fully and restore in a more of a political role. The other fascinating aspect about, about Isaiah is not only is there the messianic expectation where we read often in the season of Advent, we also read out of Isaiah during the season of Lent, and especially on the journey to the cross because there's a motif called the suffering servant motif in Isaiah. And what that means is when you look at Isaiah, if, if prior to Isaiah, if you suffered or did something wrong, you must have done something wrong. So the Friday morning AHP group is, is uh, we're working through the book of Job and they're, they're not even halfway through. But Job is that book of poetry that seeks to say, how on earth do you explain all of the bad things? And what does Job's friends say? Well, you must have done something bad. You just don't know what it is. God wouldn't just do this. Now, there's this great passage in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 5, in which Job says to his friends, you would be altogether better if you just kept your mouth shut, and there would be your wisdom. Um, if I ever quote to somebody Proverbs 13, 5, you know, I mean, um, Job 13, 5, you know what I'm thinking. You'd be altogether better if you just kept your mouth shut. But then you get to Isaiah. Think about this. If everything leading up to Messiah, if you take out the book of, uh, everything leading up to Messiah, if you take out the book of Isaiah with a sense of messianic expectation, which is clear, the sense of redemptive suffering, which it alone carries, it, it's almost impossible to arrive at a suffering servant of Christ. So Isaiah is packed with this meaning but it's this transformational understanding of who Messiah will be and who Messiah is. And so there's a word of hope that had to make sense to people who first heard it. And there's a word of hope that has to make sense to us today. And this is the marvel, the mystery, and the miracle of the timeless truth of Scripture. That's a little bit of the context as we said. So listen as if you're a people who are really expecting for hope. Listen as if you are... Texas Tech fans in the first kickoff last night of the ball game, right? And you're down seven to nothing and you're thinking, oh, here we go again, right? 
but you were a people of hope. And for all you guns up Red Raiders that read the post and are here this morning, I'm proud of you. I'll let you stand out of respect to God's holy word as we hear from the prophet Isaiah. It'll be verses 1 through 5 in chapter 11, and then we'll do verses 10 through 12. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, that's David's father. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Moving to verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the people. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the Mediterranean. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And as you are, let's pray together. Eternal God, show us your word and your covenant that is in your word. Your grace that is in your covenant your goodness in your grace, and your love in your goodness, and yourself in your love. All in the face of Jesus Christ, and in the power of the Holy Spirit that stands between me and your people, so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together would be shaped, formed, and molded into the good news of the gospel of Christ. In whose name we gather, in whose name we pray, and in whose name we will go forth to serve faithfully. And all of God's people did say, Amen. So when we embarked in this new year, the life of the church, our crew got together in a group of men who were called malicious. They won't let me use any power tool except the blower, which is so therapeutic. But you do come home smelling like an exhaust. But I get a little pair of clippers and I'm branch boy. Now, I'm going to challenge you guys. I've nicknamed myself, so we need to think about how we get everybody nicknamed in the whole crew. But um, going out the entrance here to Woodland Hills, I've tied a small little green ribbon with white dots so you can identify uh, this little crepe myrtle shoot. Now, when I was cleaning up and doing things in the spring, I thought it was one of those little elm tree roots. And so I just reached in and I clipped it and cut it and realized as I took it, that ah, that's not what it was, but I couldn't put it back. And since the early spring, what's happened is that little piece of crepe myrtle has come back. And it stands out there, sort of a testimony reminder to me that God has amazing ways of bringing back 
So if you want to look out there after service or as you leave or come by, you'll see it'll continue to grow and it even had some small buds on it even in its first season this year. Amazing what God can do. Verse 12 in this closing passage talks about how God is going to restore, to restore Israel and then also gather the remnants of Judah. It's a word of hope to both peoples. And it's a word that reminds us that as we work through all of the struggles in this um, 250 years that distinguished the promise in 2 Samuel about Jesse's family lineage always going to be in kingdom work and the words of the prophet Isaiah that God is always still at work. It's a prophetic word both on the future, the present, based on the past, and a hope for whatever circumstance that we find ourselves in. So in some ways, maybe the great question to ask on this journey of light and the silence, as we remember Isaiah says that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, is this, do we trust the roots that we come from? Do we trust our roots? Do we trust where our life comes from? I can remember when I was thinking about journeying into ministry in that contemplative time, you have to go before your own church and they have to vote on you. And that's an anxious kind of time period. But in order for me to discern my call of ministry, I had to, I had to leave home. I had to venture a bit away because I was a preacher's kid. And so often people would say, are you going to follow in your father's? So you know, right? There's a sense in which that's happening. How often we talk about apprentices, right? And so... I needed to journey a bit away so I could claim my own voice and hear that. And when I came back later after a year of trying out athletics and realized I wasn't material for football, um, I, I just I wanted to go into athletics, but I wanted to go in coaching, but it just didn't satisfy me. Um, I came back and the SPRC endorsed me, and then I went before the church conference. They gave me the text to preach on from local pastors licensing school um, from Amnon's, uh, David's son Amnon, who had long flowing blonde hair, who hung himself in a tree while going away. That's the sermon. I, I had to preach a devotional sermon on that in front of my home church conference. I mean, just give me a hard text, why don't you? And by the grace of God, it was at least 51%, so we're in. Well, you know it worked because I'm here, or I went to another church and got a yes. But in the midst of that, someone said to me, I'm so glad you decided to follow in your father's footsteps. And I said, no, I've chosen to make my own. They just look a lot alike. Being able to discern, that was part of the lineage, that what God was doing in my life and through my life in the context of being raised and nurtured in the life of the church was helping discern what God wanted to do in my life with my journey. And while we look at the people of Israel and we say, how could they have such hardened hearts not to recognize the hope that is coming in Messiah? This idea that one would come to be a redemptive gift of God, to endure suffering for a redemptive purpose of saving humanity, you and I are no different at times because we all have a tendency to censor the claims of the gospel. And I call it, we like to pottery barn the transformational so that it only smells like cinnamon apple at Christmas and not the odor of the manger. 
that offends our senses. We all have a tendency to read the portions of the text that really affirm us. But this is what Isaiah is challenging the people. Not only is God going to restore, not only is he going to gather you back, there's going to be this imagery of a banner, something lifted up. The banner of hope that's lifted up. And that's the one that's cradled in Mary's arms. The great news of the gospel is that you don't have to anxiously and frantically try to drag the kingdom of God into, work, into the world. We just need to be open to what God wants to do to bring this kingdom into the world. To realize that we are, in the sense that Jesus says in John 15, part of the branches, but Jesus is the vine. And the choice for us is, are we staying connected now, we can do a biblical study and look in Romans, we can look at Revelation, we can see clear text. This is imagery that the root of Jesse will spring up is mentioned not only by Jesus, but it's mentioned by Paul. It's very clear that this is a truth in who Jesus is. But the question is, it's not just a truth declared in Scripture, it's a truth declared in your life and in my life. Do we allow that redemptive power of Christ to be made real in our own lives? What this text is about in its final analysis really is a sense of what do we believe about who Jesus is as Messiah? What do we believe about salvation? And in this modern sensibilities of a, a, a non, of the secular culture of our world, which tends to say, you know, you, you're okay the way you are. You're basically good. We've let that sort of message infect the Christology of the church where we can say, well, you know, I'm just basically good, so I'll make it. And the reality is, if you look at Matthew chapter 25, we probably all just want to be really, 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 really good goats. Because being a sheep requires too much transformation. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon, which says it this way about what we believe about Christ is this. If Christ is not all to you, he is nothing to you. He will never go into partnership as a part savior of men if he be something, he must be everything. If he be not everything, he is nothing to you. This text is foreshadowing this God who reaches to redeem the exiles, who gather his people, who comes in the one cradled in Mary's arms, has got to be everything to us. It's got to be more than anything else. But it's about the journey. Or listen to the way that Ann Weems puts it in her poem, The Coming of God, about the Advent journey. Our God will be born where God will be born, but there is no place to look for the one who comes to us. When God is ready, God will come, even to a God-forsaken place like a stable in Bethlehem. Watch. For you know not when God comes. Watch that you might be found whenever wherever God comes. Some of us walk into Advent tethered to our unresolved yesterdays, the pain still stabbing, the hurt still throbbing. It's not that we don't know better. It's just that we can't stand up anymore by ourselves. We're on the way to Bethlehem. The great good news of the gospel is that if God went to extraordinary measures to reach, redeem, and bring back the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, 
to proclaim that there would always be one from the lineage of David that would deliver his people, then whatever holds you to a place where you're not allowing your life to be surrendered, that Christ is everything to you. Would you look within your life and ask what keeps you from saying, God, be everything to me, that I can be something for you in this world? Let's pray together. Well, God, in word, in liturgy, and song this day, we have heard so clearly about the ways in which your faithfulness is always great. Would you help us to strip away from ourselves those things which only happen to clothe us with the nostalgia of the season, with just the joy which is present, but a joy that comes through struggle. Would you allow us to let ourselves be found fully? Help us to journey well to Bethlehem so that we kneel beside the manger and what we expect you to change in the world will begin with you changing each of our lives and our world. Well, God, we thank you for your love for us. And we thank you that the herald of the one carried in Mary's arms will be a banner lifted up, something to which we can look with certainty and with hope for your amazing grace. We pray these things in the name of Emmanuel, you, O God, who is with us in Christ. And all of God's people did say, Amen.